Hi, this is Chris McGregor. The work of Discerning Hearts really could not continue without your prayers and support. Between now and December 31st, please consider making a year-end tax-deductible gift to Discerning Hearts. We are a 501c3 not-for-profit organization. Your donation is fully tax-deductible to the extent permitted by law. Click the Donate button on DiscerningHearts.com or inside the Discerning Hearts free app. Your generous support will allow us to continue producing the type of spiritual formation programming you have come to expect from us. Please prayerfully consider supporting our mission, which is dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. Thank you, and God bless from all of us at Discerning Hearts. Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today it's part two of the Gospel of John, chapter 21. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. These men will catch many, many fish for the Lord. They have a zeal for souls to preach the gospel. They're imprisoned together in Rome before Nero orders that Paul have his head sliced off because he's a Roman citizen. And Peter says, I can't die in that way. I can't die like my Lord did. They were going to crucify him. But listen what John told us tonight in 21. Very truly, I tell you, Peter, when you were younger, Jesus said this to Peter, you used to fasten your own belt. You used to go wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you're going to stretch out your hands and someone else is going to fasten a belt around you and take you to where you do not want to go. And he said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And after he said this to Peter, he said, now follow me. That death was an inverted crucifixion. Peter said, I can't be crucified like Jesus was. Turn me upside down. And they did. They nailed him to a cross, turned it upside down. There's a beautiful Caravaggio. And there he was crucified upside down for our Lord Jesus Christ. He did follow him till the end. No more denying, total redemption, total giving of his entire self for the gospel. Now, Simon Peter tonight went aboard. He hauled the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. And there, there were so many fish, but the net was not torn. Now, what is with the 153? And we got some diggers in here and some people who love to dig. And I know that. The church fathers love to dig, and everyone says, go to the church fathers if you really want to know. Well, the church fathers had, were all over the place on this. So I went to the church fathers, and they all had different stories. And there were five core numbers they were looking at, 150, 10, 7, 3, and they all have different things. The first one was Cyril of Jerusalem. He's the earliest. He said this is a combination of the fullness of the Gentiles, like 100 Gentiles plus the remnant of the Jews, like half, 50, and then put the Trinity in there, and you got one, five, three. Okay, that was his explanation. St. Augustine of Hippo, a little later, the next one, he said, no, 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 I got it, I got it. He said, 153 is the triangular of 17, and if you add all the numbers decreasing from 17, the final result is 153. So 17, 16, 15, 4, if you go all the, 153. Okay, well, what significance does number 17 have, Augustine? 17 was the number of the combinations, he said, of the 10 commandments, and then the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, 10 plus 7 is 17, got it. Joseph was sold in to slavery when he was 17 years old. And he lived his whole life there. When Jacob came, the last 17 years of his life, he came. 17 is a good number in the Bible. And, and the five loaves and the 12 baskets left over, that equals 17. St. Gregory says, I got it. I got it. 
10 and 7 are perfect numbers, and you add them together, and that makes 17. And then if you take that times 3 for the Trinity, that makes 51. And if you take that times 3 again for a second Trinity, that makes 1 by 3. Got it. <laughs> How about the 17 nations? In Luke, uh, Luke mentions in Acts 2 that on the day of Pentecost, there were 17 different nations there represented. 17. St. Jerome said, hey, 153 was commonly regarded as the total number of variety of fish that can be found in the Sea of Tiberias. That's symbolic of the universal. Every one of those fish counts for every nation. That's a universal offer of salvation to the world. I got it. Well, he was following Opian's Haludica, which listed 153 as the number of the species of fish. But he never wrote them out what the 153 were. He just said 153 was the number. That was a lot later than this gospel was written. Pliny comes along, the historian Pliny, and he says, uh, I found 174 species of fish, and here they are. Da -dun -da -dun -da -dun -da -dun -da -dun oh, that blows that one. <laughs> Wrong. Hmm. Well, timing is everything. Why did God send Jesus when he did? That moment in history, that year. Why didn't he send him in 217? Why did he send him then? Well, Paul says that there was a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And he tells the Ephesians that when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in the fullness of time. The fullness of time was a perfect storm in his story, history, his story, God's story. And in the fullness of time, he sent his son and it was then, and here's why. It's the perfect storm. It's a triangle like the Trinity. It's Jerusalem had been revealed. God had been revealed to Jerusalem. They had walked with him. He had revealed himself. They knew him. And then Greece had all the science, all the mathematics, all the philosophy, the language. They were seekers of truth in Greece. And Rome now had the political structure, the social structure. They had the roads that would spread the gospel. They had law. It's a perfect storm. It's a fullness of time. The incarnation happens. But I want to focus on the Greeks because Paul lived where? Ephesus. Okay? He was around these guys all the time, he and Mary in Ephesus. He knew the Greeks, the philosophers. And the first one we got to know about, and stay with me, please, born in 570 before Christ, 570 years before Christ, is Pythagoras. Remember him? Pythagoras. And he was the very first one who made up the word philosopher, and that is a lover of wisdom. He was the very first lover of wisdom, the very first philosopher, and he comes from Greece. Paul said this, Jews demand signs. Remember the Jews in this gospel? Show us a sign. Are you the new Moses? Show us a sign. What can you do? What can you do? And Greeks desire wisdom because they have philosophy and mathematics and science. They wanted wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified. He's a stumbling block to the Jews. He's foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. So Jesus comes at this time. We have the first lover of wisdom, Pythagoras, and he wrote so many amazing things for philosophy. His writings influence Plato. And in the Raphael rooms at the Vatican, there's a beautiful painting called the School of Athens. And these are all Greek mathematicians, science philosophers. They, they love truth and the search for truth. Plato and Aristotle are in the middle. They're the center of the painting. 
Plato's on the left, Aristotle's on the right. Plato, he represents believing in the forms, the heavenly forms. Aristotle came later and he believed in knowledge through empirical observation and experience. So their philosophies have shaped our Western world and the whole world of philosophy is built on these giants. Here's Pythagoras. He's at the bottom here reading his math book, but he was the very first philosopher, the first seeker of wisdom. And what he loved more than anything was silence. Silence. Here's one of his quotes. Be silent or say something better than silence, <laughs> which was not too much for him. There was not much better than silence for this man. He loved it. When in silence, you can hear God. And we need a lot more of it. But he loved philosophy. He loved mathematics. He made many theorems, many, many discoveries. Another quote of his, he said, God built the universe on numbers. He knew it. And he developed the Pythagorean theorem. Remember that in 10th grade geometry? How much you loved it. And you love to figure out those triangles. Remember the right angle, the hypotenuse, the side opposite, the right angle, and all that, and how it all worked out. If you forgot, 10th grade, here you go. Well, after him came Archimedes. Stay with me. He's a Greek mathematician. He built on Pythagoras. He was born 287 years before Christ. And he developed a theory building on Pythagoras's theorem. And he wrote a book called The Measurement of a Circle. And he really was the one who began to use the ratio 265 over 153. They discovered 153 was a very special number. And he wrote, he figured out pi mathematically. And his formula, the formula of Archimedes, every underlying number is one, five, three. His first formula to get to this, the second, one, five, three, the third, one, five, three, the fourth, one, five, three, the fifth, one, five, three, the sixth, one, five, three, the seventh, eighth, ninth, one, five, three. What is it about this number? Archimedes is also in the School of Athens painting in the Vatican. Well, they discovered triangular numbers. A triangle is like the Holy Spirit. And triangular numbers are the ones that can stack up like this. And the set that all the triangular numbers, but the special one is one, five, three. Why? Because it's number 17 of the triangular numbers. Remember Augustine was 17? He was on to something. The number 153 is the 17th triangular number. <laughs> And it's a very special number. The Greeks called it a magical number or a supernatural number, an amazing number. And we see that it's the 17th triangular number. And here's another fact about 153. Remember, the Jews could not write the name the Lord in the scriptures. They'd be struck dead if they wrote the name of the Lord. They couldn't say the name of the Lord. So they used the tetragrammaton, the symbol for Yahweh. The tetragrammaton is listed 153 times in the book of Genesis. Interesting. Also, the square root of 153 in the science of the universe, there are 365.25 days a year, right? And each lunar cycle, which is the days between the full moons, is 29.53. That's what we call a month. But the average number of full moons per year is 365 divided by 29 or 12.369. Oddly enough, the square root of 153 is 12.36. Interesting, this number. There are only four numbers on the face of the earth after unity, which the sums of the cubes of their digits, they're called perfect numbers, the sums of the cubes of their digits. What I mean by that, 153 is the very first one. It's very important because if you take one times one times one, that's one, that's cube one, 
5 times 5 times 5 is 125 cubed 2. 3 times 3 times 3 is 27 cubed 3. Add them all together, 1, 5, 3. It's called a perfect cubed number, and the sum of the cubes of its digits. Now, (laughs) there's only one thing in the entire Bible that's a perfect cube, and there are three of them. We studied it last year in Revelation. Then one of the seven angels who had the bride, the wife of the lamb, and in the spirit, he carried me away. John, the same author from Ephesus, carried me to a high mountain, showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of the heaven of God. It was the glory of God. It was radiance, like a very rare jewel, like jasper crystal, clear as crystal, high, high walls, 12 gates, 12 gates, angels. There were east three gates, north three gates, south three gates, west three gates. Remember that? It was coming down out of the sky, 12 foundations, and on there were 12 names, the 12 apostles of the Lamb of God. And the angel talked to me. He had a measuring rod of gold, and he told me to measure the city and the gates and the walls. The city lies four square. Its length is the same as its width. He measured the city with the rod 1,500 miles. Its length and its width and its heights are equal. That's a perfect cube. Wink, wink, wink. (laughs) Its length, its width, and its height are equal. It's a perfect cube. What else was a perfect cube? In the wilderness wanderings, in the desert, when he told them to make the tabernacle for the Lord, the place where the Holy of Holies, the true presence of God would reside. He said, make it 10 by 10 by 10. It's a perfect cube. And Solomon's temple, when they built that in Jerusalem, he said, make the Holy of Holies where the true presence of God is going to reside in the Ark of the Covenant. Make that 20 by 20 by 20. It's a perfect cube. It doubles in size from the desert, 10 by 10 by 10, to the temple, the permanent one in Jerusalem, 20 by 20 by 20. When it doubles like that, the volume increases greatly. That would be an eight times increase in volume. It's a perfect cube. Cube one, cube two, cube three. The desert tabernacle, Solomon's tabernacle, the new Jerusalem coming in John's vision out of the sky. Now, is there any connection to the fact that the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, in the temple, and in the new Jerusalem itself was a perfect cube, three perfect cubes? What is the sum of these three perfect cubes? One, five, three. (laughs) No, I mean, it's symbolically, it's spiritually, there's three cubes. And it's the mystery of the 153 fish in the net. Because there are 153 fish in the net, and this net, this is a perfect number. It's symbolic of the new Holy of Holies. Where's the true presence of God going to reside now? In each and every single fish. Who are the fish? Us. Each and every single baptized person is going to have the true presence of God living in them. You're going to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're a perfect cube. The net's not going to break. Haul in all these true presence of God. The net doesn't break. It's a new perfect cube. It's, it's, it's so cool. And I see that John is showing us that faith and reason could work together. You know how John Paul said the two wings of the bird are faith and reason, and they both make the bird fly. Well, he's taking what the Greeks knew, these numbers, this science that they knew, and he's combining it with faith that's true. And he's putting these together. And the Greeks, what was a stumbling block for the Greeks, maybe now they can understand Jesus, in John's gospel, says, I'm the new temple. I'm the holy of holies. I'm the true presence of God. Remember when he said that in John 2? Now, when every baby is baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they become the new temple of God, the new perfect temple of God, the new holy of holies. We are Jesus in this world. 
We are full of the love of God and the Father God and Jesus where the Holy Spirit's just bursting from us. If we let him be, if we pray for him, if we use him, if we're full of his gifts, if he's stirred up inside us. The church isn't living like that right now. People aren't living like they're full of the Holy Spirit of God, like they're a living temple of God. We got to live like that again. We'll return to Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study with Sharon Doran in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study with Sharon Doran. Simon Peter went aboard. He hauled in the fish, large fish, 153 of them. There were so many, but the net was not torn. Jesus says, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew. They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he had been raised from the dead. This is a big day. Three is always important. It's the third resurrected appearance in John's gospel. They'd finished breakfast. Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these fish? They're all excited about this big catch of fish. Do you love me more than these? Do you want to go back to fishing? Or do you love me more than these? you want to catch people? You want to catch the perfect cube where the true presence of God dwells? 
You want to catch people? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But he must not have felt worthy at that point because he had denied him three times by that charcoal fire. He sees the charcoal fire over there. Had he forgiven himself yet? Jesus said to him, Peter, feed my lambs. Lambs? Lambs are children sheep. They're baby sheep. Lambs don't have any wisdom. Lambs? You want me to work with lambs? That's like telling Peter to go teach second grade CCD. Or, or go to the two-year-old room at church and, and watch the kids during mass, Peter. You want me to work with the lambs? Not dissing that. If you do that, that's beautiful. But this is the vicar of Christ on earth. You want me to work with lambs, okay? So even if Peter's not all in, he can probably handle children Catholics at this phase in his spiritual maturity. A second time, he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said to him, then tend my sheep. Oh, sheep, they're older than lambs. I get to work with sixth and seventh and eighth graders now. <laughs> and I get to tend them, not feed them. Every sheep, all they want to do is eat. But I got to tend them. Anyone can tend sheep. That means I've just got to keep them from going off the cliff. And I got around. I mean, any young boy can do that. Any young shepherd boy can tend. Don't let them go in the crevice. Keep them out of the brambles. Dun, 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 dun. Put the oil on their ears. You know, the, the routine. Okay, tend the sheep. Tend my sheep. Tending is supervisory work, pasturing, pastoring, though, as Jesus meant it. Because shepherding, Jesus said he was the good shepherd. And they're going to be, they're fishermen, but he's making them into shepherds now. What's going on? Shepherding, you take a little lamb, you take the baby that was just baptized on day eight, and you care for the soul of that little lamb. He's baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you bring that little lamb to his first communion. And then you bring that little lamb to his confirmation. And then you bring that little lamb to his wedding day. And then you bury that little lamb one day. Priests do that. They stay with their flock. And they're supposed to bring them to fullness and maturity over time. It's not instant. Priests tend flocks of sheep. And in the olden days, a priest stayed there at that parish in that town forever. Isaiah tells us we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. We need a shepherd. We're naughty sheep. We, we stray. We don't always stay with the flock. We wander off. Something looks good over here. Oh, wow. Wow. We get stuck in sin. We can't get out of it. We rationalize. It becomes a habit. We like it. We keep doing it and doing it and doing it. We can't be set free. We get in between a rock and a hard place. We get into some bad situations. We need a priest to pastor us. Some of us have gone way over the deep end and become black sheep and have a real story to tell how we came back to the faith. We get caught. We get stuck. Now, he says to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt really hurt because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Three times. And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Ah, feed my sheep. Ding, 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 ding. That's the best thing. The one who feeds is the best, right? If you have a pet, whoever, when the dog dish is empty, whoever's going to feed, who's the one that the dog's really, 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 really going to like? The one who brings the food. That's what shepherds do. Good shepherds feed their sheep. They always have little treats in their pocket and their favorite ones come up and they feed their sheep. And the sheep know. The sheep know the minute the food comes out, they all start running. Buckets of grain or sacks of, of grain, they all start running. We need
need to be fed. That's our primary thing. We need the Eucharist spiritually. We need to be fed. We need to be healed. We need to be in the unity of that bread. And the priests feed us. They're the only ones that can do the transubstantiation by the power of the Holy Spirit. They're the only ones that can feed us. And we know their voice and we follow them. They break open the word for us so we can consume the word as well as the Eucharist. And they're the one we trust. They're the one who, who will get us home safely. Not the ones that do the fluffy, fluffy sermons, but the ones that do the hard sermons that are truth. I know his voice and I know it's true and I listen because he wants me to get home one day. And home is heaven. The one whose voice they know is who they follow, the one who speaks truth. They're turned from fishermen to shepherds because fish get trapped in a net. It's kind of against their will. You know, they swim in and you put a bait and you trick them and get them in there. And it is not really freedom when you get caught when you're a fish. But a shepherd, sheep want to follow a good shepherd. They want to follow. They want to follow. It's free will. They love him. Someone whose voice they know and trust. And that's what he wants Peter to be at this charcoal fire tonight. Only two times in the New Testament is there a charcoal fire when he denied, 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 I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know the man, by a charcoal fire. And now at the same location, there's a church there today on the Sea of Tiberias. It's called the Church of Peter's Primacy. It's an old, old church built in the 300s. It clearly has some of the old things inside, especially the rock where Jesus cooked the fish. And they had mass there when they broke bread together. And it's called in Latin, the Menzat Christi. It's called the Table of Christ. And it's there inside that church. It's where they landed. It's where Jesus cooked them breakfast. It's where they celebrated Mass. You can go outside right there to the Sea of Tiberias where the charcoal fire was. You can wade in that sea. And that's the reinstatement of Peter. He had three denials and three acquittals. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I'm closing soon, but I have to read what Pope Benedict, a brilliant German scripture scholar, said about this passage. He said, you must use the Greek language because John was writing for a Greco-Roman audience. So if we look at it in Greek, and the word love means something different each of the three times. Now listen, in Greek, the philio means the love of friendship, tender, but not all-encompassing. Instead, the word agapeo means love without reserve, total, unconditional love. So Jesus asked Peter the first time, Simon, do you love me? Agapis me with this total, unconditional love. Prior to this experience of betrayal, Peter would have certainly said, Oh, I love you. I agapis say you unconditionally. Oh, I love you. But now that Peter has known the bitter sadness of his infidelity and the drama of his own weakness to deny the Lord, he says with utter humility, Lord, you know that I love you, say. That is, I love you with this poor, poor human love. And Christ insists, Simon, do you love me with this total love that I want? And Peter repeats the response of his humble human love. Kyrio filio, say, Lord, I love you just only as I'm able to love just this much. And the third time, Jesus says, only says to Simon, filios me, do you love me? Just filios, just this, this filius me, just this little love. Simon understands that this poor love is enough for Jesus, is the only one of which he is capable right now. I don't think he had even forgiven himself yet. Nevertheless, he's grieved. He says the Lord had to speak to him in this way. And he replies, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you, filiose. 
in this little small way. But Jesus is willing to go to the level of Peter's love rather than for Peter having to come up able to perfect love right now. Jesus says, hey, I'll take that little love. That's fine. I'll meet you there. I'll take that. If that's what you can give me right now, I want it. Let's do it. Jesus will meet each one of us where we're at. And maybe I don't have perfect love yet. He says, be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. That'll come, that'll come, that'll come, that'll come with grace over a lifetime of wisdom. I'll take what you got now. Give me just a tiny, just a little, just a taste, just whatever, whatever love you can give me. Just a little, please, anything, any, I'll take it. I'll meet you right there. I love you. I love you. I love you. I don't care what you did in your past. I want to set you free. I want to break the chains of bondage. I love you. He will meet us where we're at. Jesus will take whatever love we're capable of right now at this very second. And he will be our good shepherd. From the time we're a little lamb to a sheep, to a teenager, to to an old grandma on our deathbed. He wants us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you for the study of John. Thank you for this apostle who listened so diligently to your Holy Spirit and recorded these words for us. Thank you, John. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being our good shepherd. Thank you for making us fishers of people. Thank you for your shepherds that give us the seven sacraments we learned in John's gospel so that we can get one day to the ultimate pasture, to that perfect cube where you are. Help us in the meantime, perfect us in being these perfect cubes where the holiness of the true presence of God resides inside of us. Mary, you stood at the cross. John gave you the Eucharist probably for the first time. He gave you your own son in this bread. You who bear this bread to the world is getting it back now, eating and drinking your own son, how that must have felt. Thank you, John, for taking care of our mother. Thank you, Mary, for raising such a fine young priest and bishop, John. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this study. And we ask for the intercession of St. John and Mother Mary as we say glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. All glory and honor to Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That was part two of the Gospel of John, chapter 21, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.